This is an intergalactic emergency. I need to commandeer your vessel to Sector 12. Who's in charge here? Claws, our master. Claw chooses who will go and who will stay. This is ludicrous. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are runs past and following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your host of us that I informed you that the show will Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a podcast that looks at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. This time around, we're looking at the uh, Pixar CG animated film Toy Story, directed by John Lasseter and released in uh, November 22nd, 1955, in the United States. Uh, I'm Matt. With me is Thrasher. Fellow Space Ranger Thrasher. And uh, the sequel cast uh, theme song is written and performed by Mark with a C. Check out his music at markwithac.com. And the sequel cast is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. Check out other great film and TV podcasts at battleshippretension.com. So this uh, first Toy Story film is very, very historic. I mean, it was the first feature-length computer-animated film. It, it was also... Made. I would say it was also, unless you were a fan of Reboot, it was probably also the first big computer animated thing you had ever seen, uh, anyone had ever seen uh, since that Dire Straits music video. Was that the one that was also that was parodied in UHF? Yes, and yes. The, uh, we got some install microwave ovens. We got to move those refrigerators. We got to move this color TV. That one, yeah. Um uh, I have a hunch these are going to be some very musical episodes. I think so. Well, it, it's fitting. You know, they have uh, music in them. And we have not really covered animation that much on the sequel cast. I wouldn't mind doing more of it, actually. But we, yeah, yeah, we did it's... Aladdin, I think, uh, about a, um, last year sometime. Yeah, we did Aladdin. And before that, we did the animated Lord of the Rings. Oh, sure. Films. Right. Yep. Uh, well, animated two Lord of the Rings films. And, uh, and The Hobbit. The Hobbit, right. Animated Hobbit, I should say. But this is this is a, a real treat because this is one of my all time favorite series of films. Right, and, you know, and we were trying to think of doing something for the holidays, and uh, one of our listeners, Luis, um, or Lewis, I'm not sure which. I'm sure I'm getting it wrong, one way or the other. It recommended Toy Story because you know they kind of have scenes at Christmas at the end of the first one, and I thought that was nice. So. Well. I mean, this is perfect, though, because Luai, this is a gift you've given to us, which is a gift we're giving to ourselves, which is a gift we're giving back to you, the listeners. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I first saw this film with my um, with my family, and I think I have sort of a... Part of the reason why I'm sort of a little bit sentimental about this is this was one of the last films my family, or the last, you know, like animated sort of kids film my family saw... Uh, together before they got divorced. And I mean, it was Toy Story. And we weren't little, my sister and I were not little kids uh, at the time. We were, um, you know, like in just finish, I, I think I was almost finishing up middle school or something. We were both in middle school. 
but it's sort of sentimental for me for that reason. The last sort of family movie we saw at a theater. You know, with for me, it's it's kind of it's it's kind of the same thing. Uh, with without without, and I do not do this to bring the show down. Uh, but I, uh, my family, we we lost my younger sister uh, to cancer in the early nineties, and for for whatever reason, like Toy Toy Story came out really when we had finally, as a family, had started to heal from that event. Hmm. And I I can't say whether or not the movie really helped us, but it's like the the this movie coincides with with the first real upswing uh, emotional upswing we had had in my family for quite a long time. It was uh it was the right movie at the right time, and it uh it's 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 I'm tearing up actually a little bit. It's um it's hard to find a movie that's this good that comes out exactly when you need it. That is one thing about a movie, especially the first time if you watch it, if it happens to come at a right time, it can sort of, uh, you know, your feelings surrounding it can can contribute to it as uh, as well. Um, and this Toy Story film, I mean, it was the first feature-length computer film, you know, the first big thing Pixar uh, came out with, which at one point Pixar was a company... Uh, owned by George Lucas. Um, but they sort of, did, for years and years, uh, did these short films that would win Oscars for Best Animated Short and that sort of thing. And uh, Yeah, they, they also did They also did a number of computer-animated commercials. There was a... I, I don't know if this was everywhere, but in uh, in Virginia, in our local market, there was a, a commercial about recycling juice boxes that was animated by Pixar. Oh, neat! I didn't realize that, but I guess that that does make uh, make sense there. Well, well, the funny thing is, you can look back on it and you can tell that it's animated by Pixar because there is so much character in every little animated juice box. Mm. Right. Each one, just by moving its swivel straw around, each one has a clear personality. It's really amazing. But yeah, I mean this this film is a huge technical achievement. It's also you know a tremendous gamble. It's it's a, a form of animation that had never been you know showcased like this, and it's it 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 it, it had just a, a goddamn brilliant cast. It truly did, and you know I think you know Tom Hanks as Woody the the cowboy toy is pretty um pretty good. The one I think that's really underrated is Tim Allen as. Uh, Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, I don't know why I blanked really? on that. You name. think he's underrated? Well, I think I mean the character of Buzz Lightyear is um a lot more how do you put it? Boisterous. Yeah, boisterous and stuff, but Tim Allen isn't the if I was to cast the voice for a cartoon of like a spaceman hero strong jawed, Tim Allen wouldn't be the first thing I would think of, but yet he's perfect for it. Huh. But and it, go, and it goes beyond that. I mean, Don Rickles as Mr. Behated, Potato Head, uh, yeah. John Ratzenberger as Ham the Piggy Bank. Uh, was, it, was it Jim Varney as Slinky Dog? Jim Varney was Slinky Dog uh, just in the first two films. Oh, that's right, because he passed he was on. He died by the time of the third Wallace Shawn as Rex, who is yeah. just always great. And what's interesting is, you know, Disney released Toy Story. And, uh, I mean, Disney released all the Pixar films, but they didn't buy out Pixar until later. But do you know what the uh, Disney, um, well, Disney, you know, 2D animated film that came out in 95? Oh, crud. This this wasn't that, that this wasn't uh, the year with Pocahontas, was it? It was Pocahontas. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. Just think about you know, I've never difference. seen that all the way through. Oh, you haven't. Um, you know, I think parts of it are okay, but it's certainly no. It hasn't stuck with people like, say, Toy Story has. Mm. So, and looking at the gross uh, in the United States, uh, the box office for 1995, I, I find this surprising in retrospect. Toy Story was the number one grossing film of the year. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if it's surprising in, in retrospect. I mean, it was a it was a phenomenal film. It deserved every good thing that came its way. It truly was. And uh, that number two for 95 was Batman Forever. Number three, Apollo 13. Hmm. Three great Tom Hanks films. Well, two great Tom Hanks films. <laughs> I like to imagine that Tom Hanks was in Batman Forever. <laughs> I think he would have made a better uh, Two-Face than uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, well, you know, yeah, he could have gone from mild to crazy. That would have been great. I think so. Or hell, in Batman Forever, I would have liked to see him keep the actor that played Harvey Dent in the original Batman uh, film with Michael Keaton. They could have done oh, Billy, Billy, Williams. Billy Dee Williams. I, I would have loved to have seen what his take would have been. But we've I would have loved to have seen that, too. That was know, a tremendous missed opportunity. Absolutely. But I believe we talked about, you know, if you could check out our old episodes at SequelCast.com, um, years ago we talked about Batman and those films. You know, oh, and actually that's another thing what I wanted to talk about because as as a film about the lives of toys, this, this movie could have just been a two-hour-long commercial like so many shitty movies that are out now, and yet it doesn't become that. I mean, you do have some real toys in there, but you're right. For the most part, they're invented. You have the troll doll. Well, there's the troll doll, but, there's, but the big standout really is Mr. Potato Head. And oh, what yeah, I love yeah, is yeah. it's not a Mr. Potato Head commercial. Mr. Potato Head is an actual character with an actual personality that's part of the film in a very organic way. I remember reading originally as the character that's sort of the love interest in the film, it's Bo Peep, but originally they wanted it to be Barbie, but uh, Mattel yes, turned him could. down. Yeah, they couldn't clear it. Which is a surprise. And then later, of course, Barbie is a character in the Toy Story 2. Although I kind of like, I kind of liked it that we waited on that, because it, it, is, it is nice that it can kind of build to, to having a, a mainstay like Barbie in, a, in the film series. So, watching this film, it, this film is almost... As of this recording in uh, December 2013, it's almost 20 years old. It's like 18 years old. How do you think the hey, animation and the look and everything holds up? It's legal. It is I legal. actually think it holds up very well. Uh, I mean, there there are... I don't want to say anything in here looks primitive, although some of the human characters, the, the facial animation is, is very awkward. But I don't find that... Th I mean, I find that this film dates very, very well. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the facial animation because that's the first thing that jumped to me. And for the toys, I think it works that they're not overly expressive because, well, they're they're toys. They're supposed to be made out wood. of plastic, right? Which is kind of brilliant for, you know, the first CG film when CG isn't where it is today. You make everything toys and that takes away the problem of having to make something photorealistic. And and you, and but it, and yet it works. I mean, like you know, Woody, who's kind of like a ra who's kind of built like a rag doll, moves in this kind of smooth but floppy rag doll way. Buzz Lightyear, who's this precision toy made from you know high tech plastic. You know, I I love seeing him move because he moves like a well oiled machine. I love seeing all the you know the joints and the moving parts on him. Yes, and I, one of our listeners, uh, Josh Proputnik, pointed out that the dog in this film looks hideous. Yeah, but that's kind of how the actual toy, the slinky dog from the 1950s looked. He is not talking about the slinky dog. 
Oh, oh, the 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 puppy. Or, or no, 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 the no, Sid's the, dog. Sid's dog, yeah. Sid's dog looks kind of like an alien, but it does, but it does make him look more menacing. I think they were kind of overdoing their reach. I think the animation on the dog is okay, but the eyes are too big. Like it looks a bit too cartoony, mm. and it, it's not a big focus of the movie, but it is sort of a, an effective threat because dogs, face it, you know, do uh, chew up toys. Well, that's another thing I, I like. I like that they've created this actual life for all the toys to have when Andy's not around to play with them. I like that they have seminars. <laughs> they have a real community. They 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 play games. They they have they have romances and lives of their own. And like you said, they do have personalities. It's not like, I mean, some of the there's some jokes in some of the casting here. In that Sarge, the head uh, army man, is played by Arlie Ermy. Oh yeah, from Full Metal Jacket and yeah. every army movie you've ever seen. <laughs> sure, yeah. So he was the gunnery. He was the yeah training guy in Full Metal Jacket, of course. Oh, you know, I love the I love the way, and, and I'm sure everybody has said this, but I love the way the uh, the toy soldiers walk. Right, because the just like the real army men, the the feet are fused together with the round thing of plastic below them, and they kind of waddle. Back and forth. Which, I don't know about you, but when I used to have army men, that is actually how I, that's like actually how I like, I played with them. <laughs> I would try to get them to do that kind of like frog qu- frog crawl and they would like move the same kind of way. Well, I think before we get into sort of the, the story and what we think about the film, let's touch on the music because that's pretty important. Ah, uh, yeah, by Randy Newman. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, other films at the time from Disney, the, the 2D cartoons, were musicals where the characters would stop and sing a number most of the time. But I like in Toy Story, they don't do that. It's just a song that plays over montages. Yeah, and, and that's actually something that Pixar continues to do. They don't, they don't do musical numbers. But, but as a result, like... Because in a bad in a bad musical number, it's like the music is colliding with the film. But I like that with with the Pixar films, the music complements the action and the emotion. And it should also be noted, Randy Newman of, uh, also did the score to the film. Um, and, and actually, and for my generation, this was our. I know Randy Newman has had a huge full career. You know, I love L.A. Short People and all that. Uh, drop drop the big one or whatever that one is. But I I. You know, this was really my introduction to to Randy Newman, and he does some great music for this film. He does, although I think you know the the most effective song is the most popular one. You've got a friend in me, um, and he performs all the songs in this film, which he doesn't do in the later ones. And but I'm not so crazy about strange things, or I will go sailing no more. I'm I'm kind of the the opposite. I actually yeah. I actually prefer as great as you got a friend in me is, which is a phenomenal song. I I will go sailing no more is the song that sticks with me. That's the one where uh, Buzz Lightyear is getting very mopey. Well, it's 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 when Buzz Lightyear finally comes to terms with the fact that he's a child's plaything and right. not a a space traveling superhero. Which is one of the neat conceits of the film is is that Buzz Lightyear is a toy that's so high tech and so real he doesn't know he's a toy. You know, he he really thinks he is a space ranger who's just crash landed on a weird planet that's got a sheriff. Yeah, like the other toys are self aware 
but Buzz Lightyear really thinks he is the real Buzz Lightyear. And there, I mean, there's a lot of very clever things where he gives this speech about he's trying to find the Emperor Zerg. And then Woody's looking over and he sees that exact speech on the back of his uh, toy box, which looks like a spaceship. Oh, and that was another thing is, uh, is uh, StarCraft was coming out around this time. Right. And they changed the spelling of Zerg because originally the, the character of the evil Emperor Zerg was spelled the same way as the alien Zerg from, uh, from StarCraft. Yeah, in the film it's spelled Z-U-R-G, and in the video game StarCraft it's spelled uh, Z-E-R-G. Now, I, I, this, is, this is a rumor. I have no way of substantiating this. But supposedly, in an earlier version of Toy Story, the action figure for Emperor Zerg was supposed to show up, uh, and oh. uh, it was going to be one of Sid's toys. Huh. But supposedly, the reason why it didn't was in part because of the possible lawsuit with Blizzard. You know, I didn't know that, but it's, I mean, they certainly make reference to Zerg, and you actually see him, as it turns out, in Toy Story 2. I mean, they they work. They spent a lot of time on the script. You had several writers. Uh, I was amused to find one of the writers on this was Joss Whedon of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer fame. Yes, and, and in fact, when he uh, when uh, Dollhouse got canceled, he actually wrote this essay about how you don't have to worry about him and his career. Uh, he still, you know, he can look back on Toy Story fondly and still collects royalty checks, so he won't starve. <laughs> sure, and I think. Um, when they made the film, they obviously realized they were doing a groundbreaking thing, and they're smart about making the locations fairly limited. Well, I mean, they're all the locations that are most important to a toy, and that's mainly the the kid's bedroom. Yeah, Andy's bedroom, and later on they go to uh, the the Pizza Planet, and then you get <laughs> Sid's bedroom, and which is a house of horrors. Right. Um, I mean, so what do you think about the beginning, the whole motivation sort of driving the story is that Andy, the, the little boy, Woody was his favorite toy and he plays with him in the beginning, but he gets the new Buzz Lightyear uh, astronaut man toy for his birthday. And Woody is uh, jealous of Buzz Lightyear. And so Woody tries to push Buzz out the window and make it look like an accident. Well, I mean, it builds to that, but that's just, that's kind of just kind of like, again, they've given these toys real lives and, 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 you know, and that is something that happens, you know, when you're a kid, you have your favorite toy and sometimes a new toy comes along and the other one just, just gets forgotten. And I like that, that very real thing gives these toys a lot of angst. And and then when who's very used to being the center of attention and very used to having this leadership role and, you know, being the senior toy that all the other toys look up to, you know, Buzz Lightyear does just, just takes a sledgehammer to his ego just with his mere presence. And somehow Buzz Lightyear gives Rex lessons on how to give a proper T-Rex roar. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing about Buzz Lightyear is like, is that he's just generally like a real sort of like stand up, helpful guy. That's the kind of hero he is. <laughs> and so, like, no matter what, no matter what the problem is, even if it's learning how, a dinosaur needing to learn how to roar, he will try to help in some way. And I like that when it's um, when he pushes Buzz out the window, everybody sort of figures out that Woody does it really quickly. It's not like there's an extended sequence of they're like, "Oh, what happened to Buzz?" and they all forget about him. Yeah, they, they don't bring yeah. him to, to the accusing parlor, and then a. Uh, and and then a, a GI Joe with the voice of uh, the voice of David Suchet comes and explains the mystery. 
Right. I mean, what like Woody? I wrote down a line uh, from the film after Woody pushes uh, Buzz out the window, where Mr. Potato Head snaps back and says, "That's Mr. Potato Head to you, you backstabbing murderer." Yeah. I mean, they're all very anti-Woody, and he has to go and try to try to save him to cover. Well, his in that ass. moment, he's betrayed their trust because they all yeah. like Buzz. I mean, right. He's he's the only guy that clashes with Buzz. But that's another thing I like. I like that this movie has some real darkness in it because you not only have like the the abandonment issues with you know with with you know Woody no longer being the favorite toy, but you've also got the kid next door who tortures and destroys toys. Uh, you've got them, you know, when they're when they're at the Pizza Planet, and just it's just this weird alien environment. I I love that kind of darkness in this film. It just, it just makes the tone so much richer. It is uh, pretty nice in that they set up Sid, the, the neighbor kid who lives across the street by the toys, are kind of spying on him, and they, they see him tie up a toy soldier. Combat Carl. A, a combat Carl, right, and, and tie him to a firecracker and set it off. And later on, that pays off towards the end of the film, where you see Buzz Lightyear is tied up, and you know what's going to happen to him. And Woody has an opportunity to uh, to save this thing, that this you know new introduction a toy in his life whatever his friend i don't know that he hates now he has to sort of redeem himself and save him so i mean sid i mean that whole thing about him blowing up toys reminds me of when i think i was like in third grade maybe i i had moved uh to was lived in centerville virginia at the time and i was trying to meet kids around the neighborhood and one of them i i mentioned one of them mentions uh I mentioned for some reason that I had some G.I. Joes. And he's like, oh, can you lend me your G.I. Joes so I can play with them? And oh, was, Lord. Right? <laughs> I see and where this I, is going. Yeah. So, I mean, I was like a new new kid to the to town, new kid to school, and everyone knows that, you know, and they try and see what they can get out of you. And I'm like, oh, sure. You know, I didn't really – I had a, a bin uh, full of maybe a few dozen G.I. Joes. I didn't really play with them anymore. So I gave him a few of the, the toys. And basically a, a week passes by in school, and I'm starting to wonder, well, you know, what's – maybe I can ask for the G.I. Joes back. You know, did did he have fun with them? I don't know. I don't know what happened. I, this wasn't really a kid I, I knew that well. I wasn't friends with them or anything. So I was asking, hey, you know, can I get those GI Joes back? And he he sort of sighed. He's like, yeah, I uh, I took them to my backyard and whacked their heads off with the base with my baseball bat. <laughs> and so I never got the toys back. I felt sucker punched. <laughs> and I think of that kid when I see Sid in the film blowing up the toys with explosives. That's that's like malice of forethought. I'd like to borrow someone else's toys so I can destroy them. Maybe he lied and didn't just kept them for himself and said he destroyed them. So I, I, I suppose so. Although I, either way, it's pretty crooked. I think so. But that's and um, also around the time of this film, I was in the. I think maybe I just had left the Boy Scouts, but there was a kid in my Boy Scout troop that looked just like Sid in this film. Huh. Had had a, the haircut and everything. The way he spoke was. Sort of similar. So you set him up as this menace when they go to Pizza Planet. Buzz is convinced, you know, oh, it's the rocket ship. It's going to take me home. And it's a, a crane game. And Buzz captures, or no, Sid captures oh. Buzz and Woody. Oh, God. I love, I love the crane. I love the aliens in the crane game. Yes. The LGMs. Oh, they were awesome. Those little green monsters are little very... Green men. Little Green Men, there you go, are, are very funny, and it's... 
Wasn't it just great, like, just a great yeah. sort of Twilight Zone moment? There's a whole civilization in this arcade <laughs> sure. game that worships the Grabber Claw. Ooh, the claw, the claw. Yeah, it's uh, the claw has chosen. It's a nice moment there, and like I've never actually won a toy on those claw machines before. Oh, no one has. And I was anyone who says they have is a dirty liar. Well, you know, like several years ago, I went with some friends to Tokyo, uh, Japan, and they are, they have several of those claw games everywhere. A bunch of stores around the street and arcades and just, I mean, but they even have it where you can use a a claw machine to get like condoms or sex toys or whatever. They have a claw machine for everything, and I was quite surprised to see them everywhere in Tokyo. But they're there in the pizza planet. Did you ever go to like Chuck E. Cheese as a kid or Showbiz Pizza? I... I I had been to uh to a, a Chuck E. Cheese like we we Chuck E. Cheese we didn't have Chuck E. Cheese in our area we had Showbiz Pizza which I think is owned by the same people yeah um, but yeah and the the first time I went there it was horrifying oh why well no just the animatronic figures terrifying oh, okay. yeah it's just it's just one of those things there's a whole sort of uncanny valley issue just seeing those herky jerky singing homunculi coming coming to life where there was no life before on stage and and and, and the thing is like and, and even as a kid i could only imagine how terrifying it must be behind the curtain when they aren't moving at all and how that might even be worse than seeing them move <laughs> i was more interested i think in the the arcade games than, oh, the, so was I. than the dancing toys um but yeah, once the movie you talked about the the movie getting darker, and it certainly does when they get to Sid's house. When Sid gets both the toys, and actually, it's an interesting moment where you're not sure if they're going to get free from the claw machine because Woody manages to find a way out, but Buzz is being taken up into the claw, and Woody holds on to him, and so both are captured at the nasty kid Sid's house. And again, we, we even with Sid, we get we get more we get more of that kind of actual you know childlike childhood or toy realism where we find out that Sid he's he's torn a lot of toys apart, but he's also put the toys back together as these kind of like monsters. And I love the design of those monster toys. Oh, they're so beautifully creepy. Uh, there's the one of the two uh, female legs with the high heeled shoes attached to like a crane. Yeah, it's like a fishing like a, a toy fishing rod. Right, right a fishing rod. The, um, the baby crab spider. <laughs> baby crab spider. There's one I Body like. Bodybuilding duck. Bodybuilding duck. There's one where like it's the head of it looks like a, of a man on top of sort of like a rainbow colored rolly uh, thing. Oh yeah, one of those 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 uh, ch- uh, like like toddler toys that jingles when you roll it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what I really like is because you know Buzz, not Buzz, because you know while Woody is getting confronted with the horror of these monstrous toys in Sid's torture chamber, Buzz is going through the horror of learning that he's not really uh, a superhero from outer space when he sees, you know, at the whole when he finally sees that toy commercial for the Buzz Lightyear toy. You know who did the voice of the announcer for that commercial? Oh uh, no, who? It was I'm gonna make it was a uh, Pen Gillette. Oh damn, cool. So and they and it's that commercial is pretty brilliant because they it looks like a real TV commercial. No, it really does. It looks like the real terrible commercials. Well, all commercials are terrible, but specifically the mid '90s terrible commercials. But you know what makes it look like the toy can do stuff like it doesn't do, where yet yeah, it has a laser, but it's an actual light, and then you see like a hand knock over blocks. 
oh yeah, burst, bursting down bear. Yeah, which actually, yeah, every action figure commercial in the 90s had the action figure bursting through like a plastic wall. Yes. Made from like bricks or shot glasses or, or something or other. And Buzz realizes what all the other toys knew all along and what Woody was, was yelled at him at the beginning of the film, you're a child, you're a toy, you're a child's plaything, that he's a toy. He has a mental breakdown. He has a mental breakdown. After trying to fly, he tries to fly with his jetpack and ends up falling down the st- uh, falling downstairs and, and breaking his arm off. Yeah, it's uh, and it's a real just grim, gruesome. powerful image. When you know the the final notes of "and I will go sailing no more" or playing, and you just see Buzz's broken body lying on the carpet in front of the front door, and then somehow he gets drunk. I don't know how that happens, yeah, because Woody sees Buzz with the, the little girl, the kid has a sister, little... yeah, and uh, sees him yeah. with the toys having tea, but he's acting intoxicated. Yeah, so. <laughs> he's acting drunk, and he thinks his name is Mrs. Nesbitt. Yeah. Well, I don't know, but maybe he's just finally sort of, maybe that's just like, he's had a mental breakdown, and that's the form his neuroses takes, or he's figured, well, if he's going to be a toy, he's going to be the best toy ever. If this lady, if this girl says I'm Mrs. Nesbitt, god damn it, I'm Mrs. Nesbitt. I mean, that could have been a, a short film there. Mrs. Nesbitt's Tea Time. <laughs> what happened to uh, to Buzz Lightyear to get him? So, what, what, made it, what makes a toy intoxicated? If this movie had been made now, that probably would be a bonus feature on the DVD release. Because that's something a lot of the recent Pixar movies have, like, a short film that takes place during the main film that you can watch as an extra. Right. Not just Pixar. A lot of the DreamWorks uh, stuff does that, too. Oh, really? Yeah, I certainly see that more as a trend, which is sort of nice. A little bonus bit of animation for the uh, video release. I guess before we talk about the end of the film, let's talk about SequelCast.com. SequelCast.com? What's that, stranger? Well, if you go to SequelCast.com, you can check out shows in the SequelCast network, such as the SequelCast, the show you're listening to, talking about movie uh, franchises, or you can listen to our other shows, like Sequel Commentary, which is audio commentaries for cult films or TV shows, and um, Video Game SequelCast, which is on uh, video game franchises. If When you go to uh, SequelCast.com, you can download all the shows, which is great. You can donate to us via PayPal at SequelCast.com slash donate. And if you'd like to support the show, uh, another way you can do that is we have an Amazon link to uh, Amazon Instant uh, On Demand Rentals, where it's about you know two ninety nine or three ninety nine a piece of the films we're currently talking about. And if you want to buy merchandise like T-shirts and stuff, uh, we got a Cafe Press store at CafePress.com slash SequelCast. And you can hear SequelCast on Stitcher Smart Radio. Get the app at Stitcher.com slash SequelCast. And all the SequelCast Network shows are your favorites. And if you like the show, considering uh, leaving a review on iTunes. We finally got listed back on iTunes again. So look up SequelCast and SequelCast Network will show up in there. Click on that and leave a review. And, uh, oh yeah, uh, the Facebook page is Facebook.com slash SequelCast. And on Twitter, I'm at SequelCast. And I am at Internet Mayor. I think that's everything. That's quite a lot. Indeed. We, we, we have grown in the past however many years. It's coming up on uh, four, because we started in late 2009. Nice. Quadrilogy. Quadrilogy, indeed. So back to Toy Story. Do you think the end of this film is as effective 
as the beginning were sort of more action set pieces of um, Buzz getting rescued and then Buzz and Woody trying to get on a moving van. Well, I think there's really is kind of two two endings because you know you get because uh, you you get you know Woody staging his rescue of Buzz in Sid's backyard by by breaking the rule and by coming to life in front of uh, in front of Sid. Although they never really explain who sets that rule, unless it's just a gentleman's agreement all toys have. They won't be animated when people are around. But then you get a whole other, like, climax when they are trying to get on the moving truck. So they're really, I guess, I guess in, my, in my head, I always read those as like, as, like, two endings. And I guess also a third ending with Christmas Day at the very end. Well, that's, that's I figure that's the coda. That's sort of the epilogue, yeah, coda right there. But, I mean, I mean, the... I like I like them escaping from Sid just because there's lots yeah. of awesome horror. I love I love seeing Sid terrified, and I love the Exorcist reference when Woody turns his head around 360 degrees, uh, and when all the little broken toys start to come out of the sandbox in the mud. It's just really it's just nice and like horrifying, but it's happening to a, a villain, so it's really cool and fun. And I, I don't know I and so you know it, it's not really scaring the audience. And then just just the whole bit with them trying to get back get onto the moving truck, it's just outright thrilling. And I love that it just sort of ties everything together from the beginning, where you know Buzz says he can fly, Woody says he can't, and Woody says that he, it's really just falling with style, and that all comes full circle when right. when Woody uses Buzz's helmet to light the firecracker that's strapped to his back, and they do fly, and they do have like that perfect sci-fi hero moment. And then even and then you know even Buzz like I wasn't really flying I was just falling with style, and you know that that's that's when you realize that Buzz and Woody are going to be tremendous friends for as long as they're at Andy's house. Yeah, I mean that you're right. That sort of go, call back to that piece of dialogue really spells out. Well, they're friends now. They're not. Uh, they're not enemies. I mean, I think it's funny that that you still have the storyline of the toys still sort of hating Woody. Because they push Woody off the moving truck. Oh yeah, yeah. Because as far as they know, you know, Woody Woody is the murderer. Woody is the guy who uh, who got rid of Buzz. Right, and uh, the end of the film, you know, on Christmas Day is is very cute. It teases that one of the presents is Mrs. Potato Head, and which is another callback to the beginning of the film. Because you know, when when they right, when right. the soldiers sneak that walkie-talkie downstairs and they're listing the presents, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's just going, "Come on, Miss Potato, come right. on, Miss Potato." Sure, and uh, I wonder other... if he has a detachable penis in there. You know, I think he keeps that in his butt. I mean, his storage <laughs> unit. <laughs> and yeah, at the end, Mister Potato Head says, "Like, oh, Mrs. Potato Head, I better shave," and he takes off his mustache. The yeah. <laughs> potato head without a mustache looks really weird. Well, especially since he's had it the whole movie. <laughs> right. It's it's kind of jarring. And you also get to find out that the Andy gets a real life puppy. Oh yeah. Which I like how how the puppy plays out in later movies. That's true. The puppy does get to be later on. But oh, I wanted to talk about a weird, a weird bit of trivia. Okay, so the B- Buzz Lightyear's catchphrase "To Infinity and Beyond." Yes, um, I've been. Uh, I, I'm finally caught up on all the Savage Sword of Conan reprints the Dark Horse has been putting out. So they've started reprinting the supplementary material, including uh, the the Cull uh, King, the King Cull comics that they used to run, and I'm reading. Uh, so I'm reading through it today. This this very day. 
and in the story, let me see, uh, in the story, uh, The Omen in the Skull, which was originally published, let me see here, which was originally published in Call and the Barbarians number three, September 1975, uh, it actually uses the line, Unto Infinity and Beyond. How about that? I'm not sure what kind of trivia that is, but it just jumped out at me that, you know, I was preparing for this show and I ended up reading that. Pretty neat. You know, I, I didn't know that. That's a neat sort of coincidence there. Yeah. Um, but also, like, To Infinity and Beyond does does sound like the perfect catchphrase for his character. Well, and Tim Allen's just line reading of that is has become iconic. To Infinity and Beyond. And Beyond! Yeah, actually, it sounds like an announcer in a trailer for a 1950s sci-fi film. It does, which uh, adds to the mystique. Uh, any more thoughts on that film? Well, I mean, there's. I don't. I don't just want to like sit here endlessly pray. Uh, like, I mean, there's there's lots to praise in this movie. But one thing I love about it is just the endless amount of detail. If you're really paying attention to what's going on on the screen, particularly in the background, you can find all these fun little details. Like, for instance. The uh, toolbox in Sid's bedroom, that is a Binford toolbox, which is the tool company that Tim Allen worked for in his sitcom Home Improvement. Uh, you know, one Easter egg I noticed is at the beginning, Woody's giving a speech. Behind him is a, uh, what do you call it? It's a, it's a bookshelf. Yeah. <laughs> Did I just say bookshelf twice? No, no, you said it once. I just like, I, I oh. just like that bookshelf was the word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the thing what that books that? are on? Bookshelf, uh, book pile, book bookshelf. That's it. And um, one of the books book is called Tin Toy by John Lasseter, which is oh yes, which one is, of the which first one of the uh, first Pixar, Pixar shorts. Wasn't it the first one that that won an Oscar? Good idea. Or was it, it the, or was it Luxor, Luxo Junior that won the Oscar? Um, Tin Toy won the Oscar in eighty eight. Or wait, uh, yeah, eighty nine at the sixty first Academy Awards. But I'm not, as far as what stuff of theirs had won Academy Awards, I have no idea. Oh, well. <laughs> that, that, that's for someone else to discover. Future generations will ponder it. Now, I don't, unlike the later Pixar films, I don't believe Toy Story had a short before it, did it, in the theater? Uh, I believe they just showed Tin Toy. Did they? Okay. I remember, like, I saw it. I saw it three times in the theater when it was originally released, and I could swear they ran Tin Toy uh, at the beginning. Oh, and I, this, this I've seen this a lot in the theaters. I saw, uh, I, I, I saw it when it first came out. I saw it when they did that 3D double bill with Toy Story Two. Um, I, I keep going back to this film. How was the 3D? It actually worked really, really well. Because, you know, I tried to rent this. I wanted to get the Blu-ray if I could from the local video store. Yeah, I happen to live where there, next to where there still is a video store. There's an independent store, so that's kind of cool. Called Movie really? Madness in Portland, Oregon. Um, and they had the Blu-ray, but only the 3D Blu-ray. Mm. And my TV is not 3D, so I just got the regular uh, DVD. Well, if, if you do... Pixar tends to do very, tends to use 3D very, very well. Uh, I I was impressed with the the 3D version of Toy Story. Yeah, out of the movies I've seen in 3D in the theater, which it hasn't been a lot, I uh, 
have not seen an animated film in 3D, but I imagine an animated film would probably work better than a live action. Well, the, the Pixar ones in, in particular, there's actually a really neat interview with, uh, I think it was Pete Docter, uh, the director of WALL-E on, uh, uh, on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, and yeah. he talking a bit about how Pixar uses 3D, and they they really are sort of artful with it. They're really trying to create a real depth of field, but also to, to sort of use 3D to catapult the storytelling. Like in Up, if you see Up in 3D, whenever uh, whenever the old man is alone, they use the 3D to shrink the to sh- sort of reduce the depth of field, so mm. that it's all very it's so that it creates a very tight, very isolating, very confined space. But whenever the kid's around, because of his boundless energy and enthusiasm, whenever the kid's around, they start to bring that depth of field out and try to create much more space for the characters to inhabit. Wow, that's very, very subtle. It, it's really it's really cool. I really wish more uh, more filmmakers in general you know, use 3D more artfully. So, out of five stars, what would you rate Toy Story? I'm I'm gonna have to give it five. I mean this this is is close to a perfect movie as you can get, and it's it's five stars both for just being a great film, uh, and but also for being a technical achievement, but also for not being a huge commercial mess, which it so easily could have been. I mean you you look at this and you look at Food Fight, and you know. I'm I'm sure under if things had worked out a little bit differently, Toy Story would have turned out just like Food Fight. I don't know what Food Fight even is. Don't look directly at it. No, I have to. Is it a what is it? Food, food Fight is the worst computer animated movie, if not the worst movie ever made. Uh, and, and oh gosh, you know we may have to do a sequel commentary on this screwed up movie. Okay, so you okay. Take Toy Story. Imagine if Toy Story wasn't about toys, but was in fact about product mascots. I see the, whatever, the, the tuna f- fish. Charlie Tuna. Charlie yes. Tuna is on the cover. And the Vlasic Pickle guy. Mr. Yeah, it it's <laughs> takes place in a supermarket and all the characters are product mascots that come to life when the store closes. Oh, weird. It, okay. it is even more disgusting than what I'm describing. Fascinating. Um, yeah, Toy Story 1, I give um, four and a half out of five stars. And it's really? almost the perfect uh, animated film, but I like one of the other Toy Story sequels better. So that's why I'm giving oh, Toy Story okay. four and a half out of five. I'm not going to show my cards just yet. So, um, given, you know, at the way, what's your what's your pitch of sequel, Thrasher? If Let's say no other films came after Toy Story. What would you pitch as a sequel? All, all right. Well, if I uh, if I were to to pitch a sequel to the original Toy Story, uh, I would be uh, Toy Toy Story two, uh, getting getting the gang together. And uh, Toy uh, so my my sequel it's gonna it's gonna take place uh, a, f- a few years later. And what happens is Andy goes to uh, Andy goes to summer camp, and as happens to many of us, all of uh, all of his toys get put out in a yard sale while he's at summer camp, and all the toys get sent to different homes. Uh, and so Buzz, including including Buzz and Woody, all the characters we know and love, get separated and and sent to to very different places. And uh, so. 
you know, they they realize that Andy's going to be, you know, pretty bummed if he gets, you know, home and all of his all of his toys are missing. So uh, Woody and Buzz manage to get into communication with each other, and it's and it's kind of I guess it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a seven samurai thing. They're they're wandering the neighborhood, getting together all the core toy characters together so that they can get back into Andy's house, so they can be home when he gets home from summer camp. <clears throat> and due to a series of bizarre happenstances, they end up uh, when they get when they get home, they find out they've all been replaced with uh, with you know. Uh, a, a small handful of flashy of uh, of flashy new toys that don't that don't have much personality, but they're based on the really popular cartoon show. That you know, you, you ever had that moment where like you, where you know you you get a toy, but you get it because it's the popular thing adults have been told kids like, but it's not something you have any interest in. Yeah. Well, that's what these that's what these toys are. They're kind of you know since we're getting into late nineties, they're kind of like a they're kind of like sort of a Power Rangers Pokemon kind of thing. <clears throat> and uh, and as crazy as Buzz was when he didn't know he was a toy, they are even worse. So this Seven Samurai Legion of classic toys uh, has to besiege Andy's house uh, to get uh, to get back inside. Are they successful, or do they just? Oh no, no, they they are they mm-hmm. are successful, uh, and, and and in fact, you know, there is uh, there is uh, some some uh, some peacemaking. The uh, the the uh, Japanese action figures, the uh, gets you know sort of gets get so inspired that they decide to sort of strike out on their own and you know re- rescue other toys that have been uh, un- unjustly swapped from house to house and garage sales. So they so they be so really those action figures become like the forty seven Ronin. If I was to do a pitch a sequel, I would call would mine you? Sid Story. It would take place after Toy Story, but focused on Sid, the nasty little boy from the first film. And it would be Sid is um it put in sort of like a mental institution for children. Because he tells his parents, oh, my, my toys have been talking to me. My toys talked to me the other day. I was bad to my toys, but now they talk to me, and I'm a good boy with my toys now. And he just comes off as completely nuts. So he's in an asylum, and on the asylum, he has his little, you know, playtime break with the other kids. Okay. And in there, he finds a, uh, a Woody doll. But it looks a little bit different, like it has a mustache. It has angry <laughs> eyebrows. And at first, uh, Sid thinks this is Woody. But it's not Woody. It's Woody's uh, evil twin from an episode of Woody's uh, Roundup, the TV show. Huh. Called... Oh, I can't think of a name. Knothead? <laughs> Plank. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect name. Yeah, Woody's actually. evil brother, secret evil twin brother, Plank from the Woody's Roundup TV show. And this, uh, it becomes a little bit sort of like a child's play thing, I guess, where the doll is sort of demented and the doll is corrupting the child. And Sid puts on a good face and goes back to his parents' home. But now he has the evil Woody toy and he's going to track down where Andy and Woody and Buzz went. 
going to track him down and uh, get his revenge on these toys that, that did him wrong at the end of Toy Story. Oh wow! Is it going to the end? Is it going to be kind of like The Shining with Sid with like like an axe with with plank on his shoulder, kind of tearing through Andy's house? Yeah, because there'll be something where Sid is or not Sid. Sorry, I get this the names messed up because they don't use them a lot in the film. Uh, Andy, Andy's family is like going out to uh, to the grocery store and they leave Andy at home alone because he's old enough where he'll be okay just playing video games in his room or whatever. And Sid knows that it's time for him and Plank to strike. So Sid goes with his axe and his box of explosives and his evil toy <laughs> to get his revenge. And it's, um, but Andy, all his toys go to try and defend him and save him. And they manage to, uh, keep Sid from killing him and Sid gets put back into the uh, child insane asylum again as the movie ends. Now who's going to play plank? Is it going to be, is, is it going to be uh, good question? Tom Hanks or are we going to go somewhere, uh, somewhere different? It's going to be Willem Dafoe. <laughs> <laughs> as yes. Plank. So that's my uh, picture sequel. Sid's story. I will buy that for a dollar. Coincidentally, we also reviewed RoboCop. Oh, hey! On SequelCast. We did. Check it out at SequelCast.com. Well, not you and I, Thrasher, but... Well, yeah. one one day we'll revisit that. I, I think so. We'll have to. Because um, I'd love to get your opinion on those. But we're not talking about RoboCop. We just talked about Toy Story. Is there any piece of sequel news? News about movie sequels or reboots or whatever that strikes well, your this- fancy? One that just came out today. So, so you know, we all know. I've I've already made it clear what my feelings are for uh, Zack Snyder's Man of Steel, and yes. we've known for a while that the next film that's coming yeah. is under the title uh, Batman versus Superman or Superman versus Batman or, or something along those lines. And the news just came out today that apparently Gal Gadot from uh, who's appeared in some of the Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, is cast as Wonder Woman uh, in this film. No, no word yet about whether it's going to be like a cameo and this sets up some later thing with Wonder Woman or whether the other DC heroes are going to play a heavy part in this film, but now there's now there's finally uh, cast a Wonder Woman. On the one hand, it'll be nice to see Wonder Woman on the big screen, but this is already sounding like a very crowded movie. Well, I don't think Zach's... I, I do not trust a strong female character like Wonder Woman in Zack Snyder's hands. You're going to have her uh, wearing suggestive clothing? She's going to be punching things in slow motion a lot. Well, I'm just, I'm just worried she's going to be she's going to be downgraded to the level of a sexy meatbag. I mean, the joke I made on, uh, on Twitter today is why don't they just call the movie Justice League Origins at this point? <laughs> that might clear- be more honest. I mean, that's clearly what they're trying to reach to and i mean i don't think they've officially announced the title but everyone's calling it batman versus superman or i, I don't know what they'll call it well we i it, i i feel like like dc comics and warner brothers are just flailing wildly uh, in the face of everything marvel's doing they are and they're trying to play catch up and they're probably pretty upset they're not. They're not learning any of the lessons about the way Marvel's been able to make these films and make them a success. No, and I. 
And on the one hand, starting with the Justice League movie and then, you know, breaking these characters up to do their own films, that's an interesting tactic. I just do not, after what happened with Man of Steel, I just do not trust Zack Snyder with this. I think if Especially have, now that Wonder Woman's yeah. going to be. Right. I mean, we'll see. Like, maybe is it going to be, like, Wonder Woman just going to pop up at the end? Are you going to have... Uh, are they going to do the origin story of Batman for the zillionth time in this film? Are they going to? Oh, do, I hope not. <laughs> are they going to do an origin story for for Wonder Woman? Are you going to have a big origin story take place this thing? Can you really call it a Superman movie? What the hell are they going to call it? I have no idea. Well, can I? And I really want Wonder Woman to have her own film. She can certainly carry a film. She's a character that's been with us what seventy, seventy five years at this point. Give right. the woman a film. Yes, a standalone film, certainly. Um, one piece of news I found interesting, it's sort of a trend they're trying to do, and I guess it was successful enough last time when they did something similar for uh, World War Z, is uh, oh. this December, for the there's a sequel coming out, Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues. Oh, yes. Starring Will Ferrell. And they're doing something that. for it called a super ticket. Now, what is the super ticket of which you speak? You know, it's different for different movies. Uh, in this specific thing, it's only at AMC theater chains and only at certain theaters around the country. It's a sort of very limited rollout. They only did it with TMZ and a few theaters. But this one, so instead of a normal price for a movie ticket, it would be, I don't know, what, like 12 bucks? I guess it depends on when you see it. But let's use that as comparison. What is it around you? You can say it is... Uh, well, we we don't have one of those those theaters like the the local theater. Yeah. Uh, depending on depending on whether you know uh, what what day you go because they do half price Tuesdays, it can be anywhere from four to eight bucks. Well, it's a pretty good deal. So I mean, let's say well, eight, the, the theater. Yeah. This theater doesn't have three D. It's it's a, right, technologically right. it's a bit behind. Uh, so let's say eight dollars is the price of a regular movie ticket. This super ticket premiere package for Anchorman Two, which is only going to be at a. Um, 58 participating AMC theaters in the U.S. is $33, but this is what it gets you. Tell me if this sounds intriguing to you. Okay. You get to see the film two days... That's a good start. Two days earlier than its official release. Huh. You get a, a digital copy of Anchorman 2 when it gets released, um, you know, like before the Blu-ray release. So, I mean, not you don't get a digital copy immediately after you see it in the theater. You get an instant digital copy of Anchorman Wake Up Ron Burgundy, the lost movie, uh, which was an extra on one of the special editions of Anchorman. Have you heard of that? Oh, yes, where, where they, they, they took all the extra footage of improv right. scenes and like made a completely different movie with them. Yep. So you get a digital copy of that. You get a $5 concession bonus card. And a uh, limited edition poster. Interesting. $33. I don't know if I would do that, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting idea. I mean, I can see if you're going to be all in for the movie anyway. But why not do it where you'd actually get like a Blu-ray or a DVD mailed to you when it gets released as part of the package? I guess because it's easier to distribute the codes. I don't know. Does that sound something appealing? That sounds... You know, if, if it was a movie like 
I would I would get one of those for the new Muppet movie. Ah, okay, right. For for a movie that I cared about uh, uh, enough, I would totally go for that. And like right now, the Muppets are, are, are what I I would do that for. Well, speaking of um, Muppets, well, I don't know what the you're new trailer is great, by the way. Yeah, no, I saw the new trailer for uh, what is it? Muppets Most Wanted. Yep. And what is the accent they're trying to go for for the evil Kermit? I feel I feel like like uh, <laughs> like a bull rat if bull rat was from like a, a former Soviet bloc country. <laughs> but I like the joke in the trailer that none of the Muppets can realize that the fake Kermit is not really Kermit, <laughs> even though he clearly doesn't sound like him. It's the Muppeture, right? <laughs> a little bit of Swedish chef in there, I think. With I'm sure I'm sure there'll be a gag about that. <laughs> I think so, but. Uh... Here we go. So, I mean, so what have you been watching, Thrasher? Well, actually, uh, in the, but uh, I actually uh, saw uh, Now You See Me. What is that? That was the that was the the movie about magicians that pull off uh, pull off heists from uh, from uh, which which I think came out was it was it last summer the towards the end of summer it had Morgan Freeman in it yes with Morgan Freeman. How was it? I've seen the trailer. It looks like a pretty good cast. Michael Caine. Oh, hell, no, it has it has a great cast. It's 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 very entertaining, but the movie is also very much at odds with itself. Hmm. It, it was kind of it was kind of the same problem I had with the Illusionist, which was either oh, okay. magic doesn't exist, but as a result, nothing in the movie makes sense, or magic does exist, but as a result, even less in the movie makes sense. Right. And, you know, Morgan Freeman, you know, Morgan Freeman has a good part. Everybody puts, puts on a really good performance. And, you know, it is, it is a neat, a neat premise. Magicians, you know, stage magicians pulling heists. But it, you know, it's, but, you know, from the moment it starts, you realize it's going to be building towards a twist ending. And I find that that can, that can hurt a film when you know from the moment the camera starts rolling that there's going to be some sort of twist ending coming. It, it causes you to vivisect the film as you're watching it, as opposed to dissecting the film afterwards. I watched something on TV. I was oh, and it's also clearly yeah. the set. It, it also clearly is trying to set up a franchise, which I frankly don't think has anywhere to go. I sorry. Um, to oh, that's okay. I was trying to do a Muppet transition earlier because I on TV I watched the Muppets Holiday Spectacular, which was oh a, with Lady Gaga with Lady Gaga a Thanksgiving special. How was that? Not not that good. I mean, it was mainly an excuse to promote her new album, Art Pop. And you had her perform some songs from the album with, like, uh, she did a duet with Elton John. She did a duet with RuPaul. And in those duets, like, the Muppets weren't even on stage. Some songs she did from her album um, with the Muppets. The Muppets seemed to mainly be, uh, have sort of, like, short skits in between the musical numbers. But after each um, musical performance, you did have the uh, two old men heckling what you did. Oh, Sattler and Waldorf. Sattler and Waldorf, which was sort of nice. And they did do a a commercial for the film. The new Muppets Most Wanted film we just talked about. Well, I figured they would. They would have to tie that in. But it was sort of disappointing. I was expecting it to be more, uh, more Muppety. Huh. Yeah, that that's what I would I would I would want more Muppets in a Muppet uh Christmas special. 
Right. And I mean, I think if you have the Mupp- if it would have been called Lady, or, okay, actually it was called Lady Gaga and the Muppets Holiday Spectacular. That just defeats my <laughs> argument I was about to make. But, but the Muppets was in sm- a smaller typeface. Not really. I mean, if you would have called it Mupp Lady- about with Lady Gaga. If it would have been called like Lady Gaga, like just call it Lady Gaga. Don't have the Muppets in there, but then just sort of mention on the side. I don't know. I think if you have Muppets in the title, the Muppet should be in it more. Or you even could have had like some sort of a a Christmas story with the Muppets and Lady Gaga visiting the Muppets and somehow incorporate her music <laughs> into a plot somehow. Well, you know, I would love it if it was done in the style of those cheesy 1970s Christmas specials. I actually really like those. That, uh, like a variety show, you mean? Yeah, where it's done up like a, like a variety show. With kind of, you know, the cheap production values, but everybody's really giving it their all. Yeah, I think that could have been an interesting take, but as it is, I thought it was... So so, I think you know. I do like some of Lady Gaga's music. I think that's kind of fun. But with, with the Muppets, just perhaps not the best uh, combination there. Hey, are you ready for the uh, Paul Goble Show Memorial mashup? I am. Am I can't fucking speak. <laughs> yeah. I am. I am. Okay, why don't you explain? I what it Tarzan. Is? I Tarzan. Uh, why don't you explain yeah. what it is to our listeners? Okay, for 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 those of you who are just tuning in now, uh, this is this is something that uh, this was a torch that was passed to us by the great Paul Goebel, uh, the king of TV. Uh, what I do is that I take two impressions that aren't that good, combine them into one impression that is outright terrible, and Matt and our guests have to guess what the impression is, and it's a combination of the names of the two people in the impression. All right, you ready? All, all right. So I, uh, I, I want to, I want to uh, pitch, pitch a movie to you. It's, it's a movie where, uh, where I, I, where I, I play a two-headed alien, and the, the, the twist is, is that the, the other head of the alien uh, is also my sister, and, and, and I give her this voice like this. And 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 that's gonna, that's really going to drive the comedy. Uh, anyway, I've also uh, written a song for it. Uh, Turkey lurky lee, turkey with bagel in locks. I want to play a character called Zaphod Beeble Brox. And then, you know, after, after that, I'm going to do a movie about a, about a holistic detective agency. And I'll just, I'll just, you know, I'll cast David Spade and all my, and all my friends in it. And, uh, it'll really just be an excuse for me to have a paid vacation. And I'll work into the script that I've got a hot wife that I can make out with in the movie. Uh, and, uh, I figure, uh, It'll take me 15 years to write this movie. I think I got it, for once. Oh, who do you think it is? Douglas Adam Sandler. That is correct! It's pretty good. You know, I couldn't tell where you're going at first, and then when you did the turkey song, I'm like, okay, I know that's Adam Sandler, and I picked up on the Dirk Gently uh, reference. So... (laughs) I, I was I had I had watched the uh, doc, classic Doctor Who episode "City of Death" written by Douglas Adams, and that's when that that uh, mashup uh, entered my head. I'm really glad you liked it. Very nice, excellent. Well, if you um, again, uh, if you want to donate and support the sequel cast, you can do that at sequelcast.com/slash/donate to donate via PayPal. Uh, check out old episodes of the sequel cast. I should say vintage. That sounds better at sequelcast.com. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter at sequelcast. Follow me at Internet Mayor. And uh, tune in next week where we'll be discussing Toy Story 2 for the sequel cast. This is Matt.
And this is Thrasher. Saying. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing <laughs> really well. I don't know the theme song to our own show. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to do what, what Randy, uh, what our theme song right. would sound like if, if uh, it was performed. Oh, by oh wait, I, I got it now. So, uh, from Jason X to no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, could you could you put the emphasis on in in July? <laughs> Oh, From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is sequel cast. No, I can't do Randy Newman, but... Um, this is sequel cast, and they are unsurpassed. <laughs> At discussing franchises to the bitter end. Imagine I had a giant piano in front of me. Right. Sorry, Mark with the C. I didn't mean to forget the lyrics you came up with for our theme song. I mean, hey, I, I've I've sung our theme song live to an audience of zero. The sequel cast is a hipster goblin production. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.